0: In the book of Ezekiel, we see in chapter 1, that there's a vision here that there's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord and the Spirit that entered Ezekiel, and then we get to read about his calling. And through his calling, uh, and this is something that you know, Ezekiel would have been familiar with as far as the circumstances within the calling, because he would have been in Jerusalem, he would have been familiar, and he would have heard the work of Jeremiah, he would have seen the rebelliousness of the people. In Jerusalem, and then he spent five years in exile just outside of Babylon by the Chabar Canal before he was called in this prophetic office. If he would have still been in Jerusalem, this is the time that he would have taken over his role as a priest. His father was a priest, so he was very familiar with the circumstances and the people of Israel at this time. And then God came to him in this vision and he sees this appearance and the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And Ezekiel's response was to fall down on his face. And then in communicating through his call, God told Ezekiel that they will not listen to you for they have not listened to me. They are not willing to listen to you because they have not been willing to listen to me. But then he told him this, make sure they know that a prophet has been among them. And so Ezekiel was going to have to be faithful in delivering the message that God would give him over and over and over again in the demonstrations that he was supposed to act out at different times. And then even in difficult, extremely difficult circumstances like the death of his own wife and not being able to publicly show any grief or mourning. And Ezekiel was faithful in this. We know for at least... 22 years. I want to carry us into chapter 12. So if you'll turn with me to chapter 12. The lesson today is, is one of those lessons we, we don't think about very often, but it's important that we have. It, it's a type of warning, and it, it's not something that we get emotional about or that we have to yell about, but it's wise for us to go to these places from time to time in the Scriptures and remember. Remember the way that God views things, His perspective on things, so that we don't get carried away by some of the worldly thoughts and some of the ways men and women may tend to think. Because God's ways, they are above our ways. And if we don't ground ourselves in the word of God and keep coming back to it, then we'll forget his perspective on things. And then it will be hard for us not only to have a right perception, but to walk rightly before our creator. All right, so in chapter 12, God had... Commanded Ezekiel to act out these two signs. And there were false prophets that were telling the people, even back in Jerusalem, as well among the exiles where Ezekiel was, that Jerusalem was protected, that there was peace and security. Even uh, the illustration of a cauldron, and that Jerusalem was that cauldron and or was protecting them like that cauldron from the fire, and that they would be fine. The people that were exiled in uh, Babylon were even being told by the false prophets that the deliverance would be coming shortly, that they wouldn't be there for 70 years, as was proclaimed through Isaiah. And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the things that they were saying were falling on deaf ears, so much so that they were even mocked for the things that they would say. And there was even a, a proverb that came about based upon the mockery of Jeremiah and Ezekiel basically saying the days are long and the things that you speak of shall not come to pass. But in chapter 12, we're going to look at what specifically was said to Ezekiel and then make a little bit of application there and then find an antidote in our own lives that we can look to from Jesus' teachings that will help us not fall into the ways of these, you know, the nation of Israel, these rebellious people that were not willing to listen to the Lord God. But it begins in chapter 12 that the word of the Lord came to me, came to Ezekiel. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage and go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. So this is one of those demonstrations that Ezekiel would give And speaking of the certainty that the people of Jerusalem were going to be exiled, that they were not safe, that there was not peace, there was not security, but they would be scattered. It says, perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile, and you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those do who must go into exile. In their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. And then as you might expect, the people would see Ezekiel doing these things, and it would prompt them to ask, Ezekiel, what are you doing? Or why are you doing this? And then, of course, God would give him a proper response. Verse 10, say to them, thus says the Lord God, this oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem. So context here, this would be King Zedekiah. And all the house of Israel who are in it say, I am a sign for you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. So even though these people over here are saying to the contrary, God is saying this. Jerusalem is not safe. There is not going to be peace. There is not security. They are going into exile. It is certain. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face and he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it and he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind, all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops. And I will unsheath the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Lord. And then based on other things that Ezekiel revealed to the people, we find out that there is going to be terror and destruction. And that all would come to know that he is the Lord. And even those that he would spare and allow to be scattered among the nations... They would look back and they would loathe and feel their shame and feel their guilt for the things that they did in transgressing God. They were in a covenant with God, but yet they were adulterous. They would go and trust in the securities of other nations, desire the things that they had and lust after them, even the audacity to worship God, and in the same day, go worship Moloch by offering up their children This was despicable and, of course, detestable and abominable to God. And it would not go on any longer. It was too late. Judgment was going to be upon them. So even those that he allowed to live would know that he was the Lord. Now, if we cross-reference what is being said through Ezekiel here in Jeremiah chapter 39 or in 2 Kings chapter 25, we find the specificity that he speaks of King Zedekiah, that he tried to flee through the wall at night coming out in the plains of Jericho, and he was captured. But the Babylonians being a harsh people, and which God spoke of that he would bring his fury through them. as part of the judgment that he allowed them to be such a horrific people and do such horrific things. But he brought King Zedekiah back into the court, murdered his sons in front of him, punctured both of his eyes so that he would be blind, and took him captive to Babylon, just as Ezekiel had revealed here. The point that must rest heavy upon us at this point is that what God said came to pass. And that's a thing that can be challenged. You know, we even see in the New Testament, which we'll look at here just shortly, that there's scoffers. So, of course, there were scoffers then, too. As I had mentioned earlier, there had even been a proverb among the people that the days had grown long and the vision shall not come to pass. So they were tired of listening to what Jeremiah said and Ezekiel said, and they doubted them. They loved these other prophets that spoke these things that were much more favorable. They were tickled by their ears and even allowed those prophets to take up treasures and material things for saying the things that they liked. It was such a rebellious, adulterous people. But Ezekiel was faithful. And we must not forget that what God spoke through his true prophet, it came to pass. Even though there were many days that passed, sun up, sun down, sun up, sun down, it came to pass. And we must keep that heavy upon our minds and hearts. Now, if you'll look forward with me into uh, Peter's second letter, this is chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Similar circumstances. We're fast forwarding 600 years. Jesus has died and he's been raised and he has ascended into heaven. And the apostles are doing their work upon the earth sharing the gospel and trying to bring people into the light and to be saved by by Jesus Christ. And amongst this, Peter writes in verse 2 of chapter 3 that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And that's exactly what the prophets were doing in the time of Ezekiel and in Jerusalem with Jeremiah. They were following their own sinful desires and they were scoffing against the Word of God. And so here in the first century, it's the same exact situation. Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So you can see even Peter's pointing them back to the power of God in his creation, and then the fact that he allowed this world to be passed by water and to destroy the old world and come into the new world. There were only eight people that were willing to listen and trust and obey God. And because they did, they they passed safely on the ark into the new world. And then Peter points forward, brings it back into our circumstances, and says, but the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So it's no different. Just as Noah, it was revealed to him about the destruction by the water, it's been revealed to us that this earth is stored up to be destroyed by fire. But will we be a people that listen to the Ezekiels? Will we listen to Jeremiah? Or more importantly, will we listen to Jesus Christ? That's who Moses spoke of that would be brought before the people as a prophet that they shall listen to. The Hebrew writer tells us, we formerly listened to the fathers and the prophets, but now we listen to the son, right? And so it begs the question, you know, who shall we listen to? Do we allow ourselves to get caught up in the things of the world? You know, where people speak of our happiness being of the utmost importance or ideas and philosophies that may be ancient, But they don't go back to what God established before the creation of the world and they certainly don't have the authority and have not been evidenced by the power that God has evidenced all things in his creation. That's why Peter pointed back to these things. And that's where we have to go again and again and see and observe the power and authority of God and trust in God and his messengers. For if we don't, then the same thing that happened to those ungodly people among Ezekiel's day. And just as Peter references the destruction of the ungodly in the first century, the same thing would come to pass for any among us or any in the world today that would trust in the wrong people and that would continue to walk in the sinful desires of the ungodly. Now, if we look at verses 8 through 13, so this is still with Peter here in 2 Peter chapter 3, We get some very good additional points. And we'll look at these before we build ultimately into our anecdote. But he says that God's time is not as our time exists. So a thousand days to God is as one day to us, and one day to us is to a thousand days to God, and vice versa. And we have to remember that because these days pass, it's not because God is slow to bring about what he has said. It's because God is Patient. He is patient towards us. So when you look back over the history of Israel, you see a pattern of rebelliousness. It shouldn't surprise us when we're studying that we see the rebelliousness that we see in the days of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. That's what their fathers did. But their fathers were not judged and destroyed, as we see in the scriptures, for the sake of the Lord's name. And then it reached that point. To where that was no longer going to be the case. And God said, too much is enough. It's time to judge you. I'm going to allow the nations that you lusted after to destroy you. And you're going to become a mockery to the nations that used to look at you and esteem you. In what I have built you was like a beautiful woman. Based on the allegory of Ezekiel 16. But he was going to bring them low. Because they had exalted themselves and had committed adultery in their covenant. Now, Peter goes on to say also that Jesus, or I should also point out that the reason God is patient is because he doesn't desire that any should perish. He has that type of love for us, that even in our sinfulness, even in our rebelliousness, he wants us to repent. He does not want to have to destroy us. Looking to Israel, we see the patience of God. It's been put before us as he's waited all those years. And even those people that would scoff and say his visions don't come to pass. That's his patience, not his slowness. Giving us time to repent. And then as he continues, Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Meaning we don't know when he's going to come. So therefore we must be ready. And it says, knowing this, what kind of lives should we live? But in holiness and godliness. So with God's message upon us, we see that just like those circumstances, the thing that God spoke will come to pass. Who are we going to listen to? Jude writes of the same exact circumstances, these scoffers in, of course, the only chapter, but in verse 18 and following. And he says that we should keep ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer speaks of that same thing, that Jesus will return not to deal with sin, but to take those who eagerly await him, right? So it's, where am I? Do I eagerly await our Lord? Am I looking forward and waiting on the mercy of Jesus? But Jude goes on to say that we should have mercy on those who doubt and show mercy with fear and save others by snatching them out of the fire. We have to hold true to what God has revealed and be willing to speak it. Yes, with gentleness Yes, with strategy at times, but with courage and boldness. We have to be willing to say what God said and stand by it, just like Jeremiah, just like Ezekiel, and certainly just like Jesus. Because all things that God has revealed, his promises, they will come to pass. And we want to be counted among the faithful. Certainly not being destroyed as all those who wouldn't listen to Noah back in the ancient world or those who over the years have not been willing to listen to Moses and the prophets, and then today those who are not willing to listen to our Lord Jesus. We certainly can't make that mistake. But we have to be bold and courageous out in the world so that we're a light and that we help bring others into the wisdom of God and the right perception so that they can walk this path too and they can be unto eternal life. So I bring us to an antidote though, because when I study scriptures like this, I understand, I I got the concept as far as the warning, but I like to have a principle, something upon Jesus' teaching that I can put into my life and that I can see how it materializes in different ways. Something to govern, right? Because if you just have a list of rules, that doesn't help me. But if I have a principle, something that Jesus has taught that helps me in an overarching way of governance, now I can direct my steps better. I can work on improving my heart, improving my discipleship. And that's why I take us to Matthew chapter 6. So if you'll turn with me there, coming to verse 19, I want to read these verses and then just provide a little bit of, of practical help that helps me. So in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you study through the B, the book of Ezekiel, you find out that those rebellious people had allowed their hearts to be taken by the idols, and they begun to practice those abominable things. So much so that they just completely forgot God. They did not know Him. And so they were given over into the delusion of what they perceived as being, you know, something that would be good and beneficial for them. You even have leaders that were trying to worship other idols in the temple in Jerusalem in secret as though God did not see them, right? So you can see how far they fell in the futility of their minds to think that they could do such things and God would not be aware, right? And so when we think about our own temptations in this regard, we're no different than Israel. We're tempted to chase after idols too. There's plenty of pleasurable things, way more pleasurable things out there that we could chase after. But of course we have to remember the harsh reality is that we chase these pleasures, it ultimately leads unto brokenness and emptiness, and destruction, right? But we don't think about that sometimes. And some people, as they drift, and they sear their conscience, they get so far that it almost seems like it's impossible to come back. And that's a scary thing. And we should not flirt with those ways. But we're also tempted in the same ways as Israel, in that we want to, or we have this tendency to look around us And see other people and their lives and their ways and want to be like them. Instead of walking in the discipline of the Lord, right? And serving the Lord and wanting to bear fruit for his kingdom. We get caught up in the temporal and the fleshly and we think, wow, that life looks great. Or that person has accomplished this or that. I would like to do that too. We're tempted in the same exact ways. Nothing's new under the sun. Now, we know circumstantially there's technology and different things that makes you know our temptations a little bit unique. But it would be hard to argue that the, the temptation is greater than in those days. It's just different in that regard. But the temptation is there. And so we have to remember that false people love false prophets, right? You think about what kind of people will listen to a false prophet, right? False people love false prophets. A person whose heart is wrong, a person whose heart has been given over to idols or desiring to be like the world, loves a false prophet and will be given over into the foolishness of a false prophet. And so that's why I bring us to Matthew chapter six. It's a heart issue, it's a matter of heart. And even those of us walking faithfully and walking strong and bearing fruit, we know that we have to protect the heart. I mean, think about the faithfulness of Job and then that trial that came upon him. Wow, what a testing, right? And ultimately, through the discourses and fortunately, God came in a very powerful way and reminded him, I am the potter and you are the clay. So you can question all you want, but don't step outside of obedience. I am God. Not y'all fool. And that's where we have to be grounded. But if we don't keep coming back to the warnings of Ezekiel or Jeremiah or the New Testament writers and ultimately to Jesus, then our heart can be pulled off in the same ways that Israel was pulled off and can be given over into that foolishness. False people love false prophets. And so it's just a simple questioning And this will lead into the practical, do I, do I love idols? Are there pleasurable things that I look out and I lust after, right? Do I look out and love the lives of worldly people? If I desire those things, then that means there's a problem with my heart. Because disciples of Jesus that have counted the cost and that are willing to take up the cross just like Jesus, they love to suffer. They understand that this life is not supposed to be easy. Right? They understand that we are not earning our salvation, but that we are gladly, and it's an honor, to serve God in the same way that Paul writes about in all of his sufferings. Right? He saw himself as... Being an indebted servant because of the trespasses that he had done against the Lord. And now it's like I have the rest of my life to do it right. And I can't do enough to serve my Lord. That's where the mindset of the disciple has to be. But if we're listening to the world, we'll get soft. We'll fall away from that. And we'll think that things are about trying to work less. Retire early. Vacation more acquire bigger this, bigger that, better this, better that, and that's not what we have been called for. That's the foolishness of the temporal world. All those things will be destroyed, as Jesus talked about. We need to think about using our gifts and our abilities to serve the Lord, to bear fruit that stores itself up in an eternal fashion, right? Building those types of relationships and investing in people doing things of influence that bear eternal fruit rather than temporal fruit that we consume and it's gone and we're left empty and we're hungry again, right? But that's what the world does. So we are to be light. So let me think about it this way. First, if we think about letting our lives be governed by God, then we're thinking about kingdom work. So not to stay here long, but just thinking about what that means for our daily And weekly processes and how that should reflect discipleship of Jesus. So, there's, you know, athletes don't have any trouble at all thinking about their physical training, right? And they have these types of goals and how they wanna grow. Some of it is planned out, you know, monthly, seasonally, yearly, and they know where they wanna be. But that's the same nature as a disciple. God's minimum expectation is growth, and we need to think about ourselves as we mature and how we can be useful to God. That's something that needs to be intentional. So within our daily and our weekly processes, what does my spiritual training look like? And coming and just, you know, sitting down, it's not getting it. That's not effective training. In the physical athletic world, we call that going through the motions, right? But the intention of showing up to encourage my brothers and sisters, to keep them encouraged so that we're Walking the path together and that ultimately we'll remain faithful and we'll receive our inheritance, our reward together, like showing up with that intention. Right. Studying his word in an intentional way so that we have a transformation of mind and heart so that we can be strong, so that we can be like a rock which other people can lean on. And when they're bombarded by life and they're caught up in the emotionalism of their trials, they have these rocks that they can lean on that will speak the word of God to them and show them right paths. Even though that they're blinded by their tears and their grief or the shock of whatever they're going for. We need those rocks among us. And we have to take that out into the world. And we have to shine that light and be strong and courageous and bold. Right? There's plenty of weak people out there that are willing to succumb to the, the false teachings and, and the comfortable doctrines. But where are the strong people? There's even a case in Ezekiel where he says he was looking for that righteous person that would stand in the breach of the wall, but he saw no one. No one that was willing to stand in the gap. That's got to be us. We've got to be willing to stand up and trust God and know the things that he says will come to pass. Put a deaf ear to the scoffers. And focus on the perfecter and the creator of our faith, Jesus Christ. Beyond that, assessing the gifts and abilities, right? You know, I I coach track and field, so this is something we do all the time, determining which athletes will be good at which events. And we're very intentional about that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And there's years sometimes before we really find someone's niche. That's a lot of time and effort for something that's so temporal, right? Right? And we have the right perspective about it. But where's our perspective in terms of us spiritually and what God desires of us, right? And not all gifts are going to come gift wrapped, right? Not all things he's going to say, here, this is easy. Go and be good at this so you can serve my kingdom. It requires work. And we have to be willing to assess ourselves. Where am I good? Where do I have opportunities? What can I do for the Lord And then commit to that. When I look at Jesus and his disciples, I see people living mission-oriented lives. They understood their purpose. And each day, as we read about it or as it's recorded, we see them willing to put it first. God and the work of the Father that had been given to them was truly what governed their lives. And I think all of us, especially at certain times, we have got to check ourselves. Because we have that tendency to where we can get to be, where we're playing church. We know it's an important part of our lives. And we're checking some boxes. But we've allowed some idols. We've allowed some other things that we desire to be truly what's governing our lives. And we're pretending, like Israel, we're pretending to worship God. We're pretending to walk this path. But I've, I, actually, we're over here worshiping Moloch. And we're doing these other And our heart belongs to whatever this is. And that's what we have to examine. We can't let that happen. We know the outcome, and that's a horrific thing. So we have to come back, examine the heart, and make sure that we're storing up our treasure in a place that it can't be destroyed to where God will protect it, and it'll bring about the eternal fruits and ultimately the inheritance that he's put before us. And so I give you these practical things. All right, there's perception, will, and action. And I found just through these three ideas or concepts, it's a very practical way to work on my heart and work on my discipleship. So when I speak of perception, I'm speaking of being able to see things as they truly are. So when we study the Word of God and we're able to see a correct worldview as God is creator. And I mean, only when you begin there, you read through the Proverbs and you see the beginning of wisdom has to do with that correct worldview. And seeing him as the king and creator of that universe, we have to have that worldview first and foremost. But it's not just through the studying of the word. I believe it's also through the continual observance of his creation. And being able to see his power and his handiwork just day in and day out in the natural world. And as we think about that and we think about our environment and how he's involved, then we can have the right perception. We can see as God sees. Right, Coming back to examples like how God chose David when everybody else would have chose one of the other sons of Jesse. right? Because they look upon the appearance, God looks upon the heart. We have to have right perception in order to see like God and therefore be able to walk in a way that pleases God. So this is just a simple task that can help us work on our perception. Right Now obviously, like I said, studying the Word of God helps us create perception that's correct and seeing the natural world But what this does is allows us to take things that are unconscious or that we do in the subconscious and make everything conscious. We bring it up to the light and then we don't try to justify it. We don't try to rationalize it. We're brutally honest. And it either helps us to become who we should be as far as disciples of Jesus. It's either helping us grow and mature and bear fruit for God's kingdom or it's not. And we cut it straight, right? And if it's not helping... And certainly if it's detracting, certainly if it's a transgression, then we must repent and change. And therefore our daily, our weekly processes are consciously serving the Lord. We are consciously mission oriented, just like Jesus and his disciples in the first century and we're using our gifts for the Lord. Now will we can have all the ability in the world We can have all the knowledge. You can study the word of God your whole life. But if you don't have the determination and grit to fuel it, what does it mean? It's for nothing, right? So we have to be able to work on our will, making ourselves do things that are not easy, making ourselves do things that are uncomfortable, making ourselves do things that we know are right, but that we don't currently desire or have a passion for, right? Well, we have to start somewhere, right? So you could pick physical things, but I would rather choose something that has to do with our relationships because relationships are so important in this life. We must have these good relationships for us to grow and become who God wants us to be. So just by the simple task of telling these three important people in your life how and why they're important to you, that's you investing in the relationship. Right? It's you making a deposit. me making a deposit in their lives. And we must make deposits long before we would ever expect any withdrawals. Right? But if we can strengthen our will through the relationships that we have and build these better relationships, now we'll be stronger in the way that we walk. Right? That's one of the purposes that we come together. That encouragement and the strengthening of each other so we can stay on this path together and that we don't fall into the rebelliousness of the world and the people like Israel, right? And then finally, the action task. So we can know what we need to do, but we ultimately have to become doers of the word. As James says, the doers that are justified. So we have to practice getting off the couch, so to speak, going out there and making a mark on the world, right? Being disciples of Jesus that bear that fruit and so that we are influencing and changing the lives of others. And so with this simple task, just taking that one hour. And perhaps just depends on circumstantial things. Maybe for you it's taking a one hour walk with somebody else. Maybe you need time to be with that other important person. Or maybe based upon your life, you're around a lot of people. And you need a one hour walk by yourself. So that you can either think about the day to come. Commune with our Lord talk through different things, pray, or maybe it's in the evening and it's reflective and you're thinking about over the past day, the good and the bad, thinking about things that may need to be done based on some, some of the bad, but you know being, of course, shaped by the good. But nonetheless, I found that through perception, will, and action, I can shore up some weaknesses and continue to work on developing some strengths And become a more mature and helpful disciple of Jesus. And that's why I bring that before us this morning. Thank you for your attention. We'll now be led in prayer.